I hope you're, uh, I hope you're taking an envelope. I hope that God blesses our teen ministry and our mission trip. Uh, we don't have an opportunity this morning to talk about all the things that we do in missions, but I, I was recounting that uh, just this week kind of for myself and thinking it through, and it's amazing to me how much we do as a church with reference to missions in other places. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like it in terms of a church taking the kind of responsibility for world missions the way that we do for a church our size. Uh, it's very common for a church our size to support one missionary. That's quite common. It's not common for a church our size to support about seven missionaries, and that's about how many we support in various levels. And so I'm, I'm just so excited about what God has done and blessed us in that way. That is not the only thing, however, about which I'm excited this morning. I have to tell you that uh, in our series on the Holy Spirit that we've been doing for the last several months, I've been kind of waiting for today, because this is a lesson that I think is absolutely crucial uh, to us getting Uh, It's crucial to who we are. It's crucial to us understanding what we're talking about this morning. I want you to turn to John chapter 3 in your Bibles, if you would. It's in in the Pew Bibles. It's page 751. And one of the reasons that I'm so excited about this is because it seems to me as though the the content for today, the stuff we're going to be discussing, is really crucial for every Christian. Like, if you're not a Christian, then today you need to get this. And if you are a Christian, then today you need to get this. I I was thinking that this is like oxygen. Like if you miss out on what we're talking about today, you miss something that will lead to your spiritual asphyxiation. Okay? We need to get what we're talking about today. It's like children in an underdeveloped country where there's not the kind of nourishment that they need. And so they never really develop the way they're supposed to. And that's what will happen to us today if we don't understand what it is that we're talking about. And so we've spent months talking about the Holy Spirit, but today there's a a part of this, an element to what we're talking about that is just so important that I hope we all get it by the end. So look at with me, John chapter 3, verse 1. And I'm going to read through the first eight verses, and then we're going to talk about this some. And I think, oh, I just think this is incredibly important. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. And Nicodemus comes at night uh, he's a Pharisee. He's part of the Sanhedrin. He no doubt comes at night because he doesn't want people to see him or uh, somehow he's doing this in some clandestine, stealthy way. He doesn't want people to understand what it is that he's about, what he's doing by coming. And yet he clearly has questions. There are things on his mind. And he has developed some kind of opinion about Jesus. We know, he says, obviously he's been discussing this with some other people. We know that you've got to be from God because nobody could do what you're doing unless he was from God. But you can hear in the the background behind that, are you? Are you from God for sure? And, And if you're from God, what do you have to tell me that I need to understand? In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Now it looks like Jesus kind of ignores him. It's almost like Jesus looks past Nicodemus. I'm going to make some comments about that in a moment. I don't think he's looking past him at all. How can a man be born when he's old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. 
And again, Jesus appears to almost not answer Nicodemus' question, but I think actually he's answering it very well. I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, if I just, because you're all, most of you, good Church of Christ people, if I said to you, what are we talking about here? Baptism. Everybody knows. You read John chapter 3, and you read it for one purpose and one purpose only. It's so that we can establish the position that we hold about water baptism. And the fact is, I think there is some merit to that. And so let me say right off the, the top here that I think this is making a reference to water baptism. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. And I think the water that Jesus has in mind there is specifically the water of baptism. But there are some differences of opinion about that out there. And so while many of you may say that's exactly what this is about, there are different perspectives. Let me tell you some of the major ones. For example, some interpreters have said that they think that Jesus' reference to water here is not a reference to the waters of baptism, but a reference to the waters of physical birth, as in the amniotic fluid that is part of the birth of a baby. And so if I just say these words, if I say, my water has broken. Okay? Everybody knows what that means. In fact, some of you probably are thinking right now, oh man, I remember that. You know, that's, what, that's when the big contractions begin. You know that? When the water breaks. And so we're very familiar with the connection between water and physical birth. And the fact is that Nicodemus himself even makes a reference here to physical birth. He says, am I going to get, I'm going to have to get back into my mother's womb and re, be reborn? Like what, what are you talking about? I can't do that is really his point. Well, that is then some kind of option. I'll tell you, there are a couple of problems with this that I see. One is, and I think this is decisive, that when Jesus uses the expression born of water and spirit, at that point, Jesus isn't making a contrast. There's no contrast here. And that's what you'd have to have. If you're talking about, and Jesus does talk about this, flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. There's some kind of contrast there in verse 6. But Jesus isn't actually talking about a contrast when he uses the expression born of water and spirit. He's not saying born of water. And then in contrast to that, born of spirit. And we know that because... The Greek expression here in verse 5, and I don't know how many of you read Greek. I know Michael does. Dustin does. I do. Probably not most of you. And so I don't want to make too much of this. But this is an important point because at this point in the text, the Greek says not you must be born of water and you must be born of spirit. What it says is you must be born of water and spirit. 
And in fact, you could, instead of saying water and spirit, put a slash there the way we do with a diagonal. And you could say, you must be born of water spirit. And there's only one birth here that Jesus is talking about. He doesn't talk about two births. He doesn't say you must be born in one birth of water and one birth of spirit. He says you must be born once as a rebirth. And this one rebirth consists of two elements, water and spirit. There are two elements, but there is only one birth. And so he can't be talking about how you're going to be born of the flesh and then born of the spirit because the being born of the water part and born of the spirit is all one birth here. The contrast doesn't come until verse 6. Now, he does, as I said, make a contrast in verse 6. But in verse 6, he's simply using an analogy. And he's trying to make the point that the spirit birth is the key. The spirit birth is the important part. And there's a contrast between spirit birth and any kind of birth. And he's saying that this water spirit birth is the spirit birth in contrast to any other kind of birth you might think of, specifically flesh giving birth to flesh. So I'm actually not at all convinced that this has anything to do with physical rebirth in terms of the water part of this birth. It's one birth, and it's a spiritual birth. The water birth here in verse 5 is as spiritual as the spirit birth. It's only in verse 6 that there's some kind of fleshly reference made to birth. And so I think that this is a fairly weak answer, actually, in terms of this being a reference to, to uh, physical birth. The second thing that kind of makes me think that too is just the fact that Jesus here seems to expect that Nicodemus himself and others are actually going to participate in this water birth and spirit birth. Like the water spirit birth that's going to take place, this is something that Nicodemus now needs to do and all human beings now need to do this. Nicodemus makes the point, well, I can't get back into my mother's womb again and he's exactly right. But Jesus is expecting that this new birth is something that we're all going to participate in and we can't re-enter into our mother's wombs. So I don't think that physical birth here is what's being talked about with the word water. Another option for this whole passage in terms of what this might mean is found in Ezekiel 36. Keep your finger where you are in your Bibles in John chapter 3 and flip to Ezekiel 36 real quick. Ezekiel chapter 36, and I want you to just look at verse 25. He says, in verse 24, and and I'll, I'll just tell you, this is in reference to the Jews coming back out of exile and God rebuilding the kingdom. And so he's got his people that he has punished. He's done something to them that they deserved. They've been carried off into exile, but now it's time for him to rebuild the kingdom. And there's a prophecy about the rebuilding of this. And he says, for I will take you out of the nations, meaning I'll bring you back from Babylon, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I'll restore you into Israel. I will sprinkle, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your impurities and from all your idols. So there's the water part. I will, verse 26, give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you and I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And so there's the spirit part. So we got water part and spirit part and a lot of people think that that's exactly what Jesus is referencing when he references in John 3 the birth of water and spirit. Well, there might be some truth to that. 
It may be that Jesus has this somehow on his mind. I don't think that's the best answer. Partially because this really isn't talking about Jesus. He's talking about the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. He's talking about bringing people back into the new land. And I just don't know that there's this final kind of consummation coming of Jesus that's talked about in Ezekiel 36. There's also just the notion of cleansing with the sprinkling, which doesn't talk really about the human life having a spiritual rebirth take place, as much as in that passage it's the whole nation that is receiving something from God. So I'm not sure that that's the best answer with John, for, uh, in terms of what John 3.3 3 is about or John 3.5. And in fact, I would say if Jesus wanted to make that clear, he certainly could have. So there is a third option, and of course that's the one I opt for. I've already said that. I think this passage is talking about baptism. In fact, I would say that that's exactly what Jesus is referring to when he talks about the newness of the rebirth. If I say anything to you folks at all about baptism, if we talk about baptism from a scriptural perspective at all, you're going to come some way to the notion that there is a rebirth, something new happening in the life specifically with the event of baptism. And so the connection is some sense, in some sense is already there. But then I want you to see another passage. Ethan, could you please show the next slide here? Look at this one. Look at this text from John 3, 5, or Titus 3.5. And what I think is happening here is that I think that Paul is in fact responding to and maybe even interpreting Jesus' words from John chapter 3. Paul says, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Which, by the way, every time somebody talks about baptism in relation to it being necessary, there's always somebody to say, well, we don't want to talk about baptism being necessary because it's a work. Well, this specifically says, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. So if there's a connection here with baptism, it's clearly nothing to do with work salvation. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Well, what does that sound like to you? When I read Titus 3.5, that sounds to me like that could be a direct reflection on what Jesus says in John 3.5. I was talking with Steve about this last night, and Steve said, 3.5, in both of them. And I I said, yeah, that's providential. (laughs) Well, I don't think that's providential. I don't think that somehow there's a spiritual connection so that John 3.5 and Titus 3.5 both got worked out, but it does work rather nicely for the preacher. So there's this connection here between these verses, and I think that it, Titus 3.5 talks exactly about this new rebirth. Now, we don't have time this morning. We could turn to Acts 2.38 and 39, and we know this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and... You're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this connection between water baptism and the reception of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers seems to me crystal clear and to fit perfectly with what Jesus is talking about in John 3. But it gets better. I want you to look at verse 22. Go back to John chapter 3 and look at verse 22. I hope you kept your finger there. It's on page 751 if you didn't. John chapter 3, verse 22. Here's all this discussion about 
new birth and the spirit. And then it goes in from there to that famous passage in John 3.16. and talks about what Jesus did in, loving, in, in God so loving the world. And then it says in verse 22, after this, and, and by the way, after this is like, when after this? Like, what's the chronology here? Okay? Like, it's very difficult to understand this chronology. I, I think that John is more than trying to say, here's the chronology, trying to say, I need to tell you something important. And so after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John also was, at baptizing, was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water there and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he's baptizing and everyone is coming to him or going to him. And then John goes and talks about the coming of Jesus and how important it is. You'll notice in verse 31, the specific words are the one who comes from uh, above, I'll get to that in just a minute. And then you'll notice in verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Well, verse 36 connects almost directly to verses 16, 17, and 18. Verse 31, with that language from above, connects right back to John 3, 3. In fact, the word in John 3, 3, where it says, you must be born again, the word again in John 3, 3, can just as easily be translated from above as it can be translated again. In fact, if you look at your, if you have an NIV, you'll notice that there's a footnote at the word again in John 3, 3. Do you see that? It says you must be born again, and then there's a footnote. Look at the footnote. What does it say down at the bottom of the page? From above. It's the same word. And my point is, is that verse 36 connects to verses 16, 17, and 18. Verse 31 connects to John chapter 3, 3. Well, what do you think all that stuff about baptism is supposed to do? I think that that's a direct connection to what Jesus has to say about being born of water and spirit. This is the only place in all of the New Testament that talks about Jesus baptizing. Now, it does say Jesus wasn't himself baptizing. It was the disciples who were doing so. But this is the only place that talks about the ministry of Jesus, including baptism. And it comes 17 verses after he said, you must be born of water and spirit. I think John's making a point. Now, again, I think it gets even better. Go to John chapter 1 real quick and look at verse 26. John chapter 1, verse 26. Uh, you know what? Make that verse 29. The next day, Jesus saw John coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who has sent me to baptize with water told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. What is it that is not in that section? What, what is not recorded 
in those verses about Jesus that is found in all the other Gospels. All three Gospels, when they talk about this section of Scripture, talk about what's happening in the life of Jesus at this point, all three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, mention something that is not mentioned here. You know what it is? The baptism of Jesus. You do not find in John chapter 1 the baptism of Jesus. There is no mention there of Jesus himself being baptized. We know that he was. But what does John talk about when it comes to the baptism of Jesus? Does he say anything about him going down into the water? Eh, He doesn't. You don't have to keep reading. He doesn't. He doesn't say anything about Jesus going down into the water. Why? Because his emphasis is the same kind of emphasis that he wants to make in John chapter 3, verse 5. And when he gets to the part about water, yes, that's about baptism. But we have entirely blown it. If we think that the point of John chapter 3 is to say that Christians need to be baptized in water, what Jesus wants to draw us to, and what John draws us to by not even including in John chapter 1 the baptism of Jesus is that what this whole passage is really about is the spirit part of the baptism that all Christians are supposed to experience. And so when he says you're to be born of water and spirit, I think that's baptism. And I think that the watery grave of baptism does all that it's supposed to do when the Holy Spirit becomes part of, for us, this activity. And that is, you have to admit, the part that we haven't done very well with. When we talk about the baptism that takes place for Christians, what do we talk about? We talk about water. Jesus in John 3 is talking about the Spirit. And that's why he gives this whole explanation about flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. The wind, we don't know where it comes from or where it goes, but it's like the spirit. His real point is you must be born again, or maybe that's from above. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives at this point, and it is Jesus' focus that says the Holy Spirit is what must change and alter and renew and rebirth the life of a person who is coming to me. And so here's what I think is happening in John 3. First, we could ask that question about baptism. Is that what it's really all about? And I'd say no. You know, the word forgiveness is not in John 3. The word repentance is not in John 3. The word baptism is not in John 3. There's no mention here of the remission of sins in John chapter 3. If Jesus wanted to talk about baptism, wouldn't he use those kinds of words? But none of that's in there. Instead, he's talking about new birth being born from above. If he wanted to talk about baptism, he could have been crystal clear. And he wasn't clear about that at all. What he is clear about is the relationship between new life and the coming of the Spirit. And so are we supposed to be baptized with water? Absolutely. But that's not what John 3 is all about. And so what I think it happens in John 3 is exactly what needs to happen for you and me. 
Jesus didn't ignore Nicodemus. When Nicodemus comes and says, I think you're a man sent from God. You're doing things that no one could do it unless God was with him. I don't think that Jesus ignores then Nicodemus when he says, you need to be born again. Instead, I think he looks him right in the eyes. And he says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, we could talk all day about how you're a teacher in Israel. And you could talk all day about what you might think of me. But I want you to understand, you, Nicodemus, must be born again. And when Nicodemus says, I'm supposed to enter into my mother's womb again? That's not just ignorance on his part. That's a guy who's squirming. Because the Son of God is looking him in the eyes. And is expecting from him something different than him just to continue on his merry path, being a teacher in Israel. Jesus wants Nicodemus' life to change. He wants the rebirth of the Spirit to take place in this man's life. And so Jesus looks him in the eye again and says, Look, my friend, you need to experience rebirth, being born again of water and Spirit, the whole package and have your life changed. Do you understand that we, if we're just talking about fleshly stuff that we're not at the heart, that we have to move into talking about the spirit and the transformation of the heart in you, Nicodemus, that has to be there? The spirit wants to change this in you? That's what Jesus wants to see happen. And so we need, as a group of people, more than anything, I mean, is water baptism important? Absolutely. But it's important because of what it does. It's not just the fulfillment of a command. It's because at this point, the Holy Spirit comes and instigates, initiates transformation in the life of a human being. And so I would say that people need to do this. Just like, and this is just what the gospel would tell us to do. You need to believe in Jesus Christ as the son of God. You need to realize that the person who stares you in the eyes, in exactly the way he stared Nicodemus in the eyes, is expecting from you transformation, for you to be different. And so he says in verse 16, God sent the son into the world that all of us might believe on him and have everlasting life. And that's what he wants, for us to come to him, to come to the light, live in the light. It says in verses 20 and 21, come to this new light that is Jesus and have your life transformed and changed. So we need to believe. Secondly, we do need water baptism. It's a crucial part of what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 3. It's part of this repentance and confession. John the Baptist came, he says, to baptize in water. I came to baptize in water for the remission of sins. The people might confess their sins and have their lives renewed. But the one who's coming after me, what's he going to do? He's going to bring the Holy Spirit. He's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. So is water baptism part of this? Of course. But it's the Spirit that comes that is really crucial in the life of the believer. And so we have to open our hearts. We have to be accepting. We have to offer ourselves to Jesus and allow the Spirit to come in and change us the way he wants to do. It's the fullness of the spiritual cleansing that the Holy Spirit wants to make that is at the core, the center of what John 3 is all about. And when we, as we've sometimes done, just used this passage to talk about water baptism as if that's the heart and soul of those verses, we have missed the point. Because Jesus wants rebirth by the Holy Spirit in each one of our lives and for us to be transformed in that way. 
And I pray that that's exactly what we have. Michael, I don't know if we have time today for the uh, journaling. But, I mean, the fact is you guys should be journaling in your hearts today about the questions of rebirth, what it means for the Holy Spirit to live within you and transform your existence in Him. The Spirit wants to do that for every one of you. And water's part of that, but the water's part of that because that's how God brings about this spiritual transformation in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would bless us today with the sense of rebirth that needs to be ours in your spirit. Father, I pray that we would see the, the, the profound uh, spiritual truth here about what Jesus is trying to convey for human beings. Uh, in the course of this, help us to be different as we just reflect on what it means to be born uh, this one time in water and spirit. We pray these things through Jesus.